Whoa, good morning, sunlight. Great to be here, especially after that song, right? Wow, that didn't get you ready to preach. I don't know what will. Woo! Uh, my name is Neil France. I'm an elder here at, at Sunlight. And uh, before we start today, I want to give a special shout out, kind of my high mom moment today, to uh, those people on Facebook and YouTube that, man, we miss you here. You know, Kit and Nancy, Bill and Jen, Mike and Vicki, Carol and Jean. I know I'm going to miss some people. I'm sorry. Even my wife's at home today. Allie McCoy had a baby. She's still out there. I just, we miss all you people. We're here. We're worshiping. We're, you know, getting something out of it. But it's just like a family reunion, right? If you're missing part of the family, it's just not, it's not totally complete. So we miss you guys. And I just want you to know that, uh, that we really do. It's a privilege to speak to you today from God's word. Um, as most of you know, I'm a teacher. So school's just around the corner and you know, there's that slight chance we might be using the old e-learning method, and I might have to teach on Canvas this year. Um, so I need a little practice today. Last spring when we did it, my students weren't real responsive. I don't know how, how you know, some of you students did. I'm sure if I had Eva, she would have been fine, but I didn't have her. So um, you got to give me some response today, some feedback. How many of you have a favorite quote? A quote, you know, I know we're supposed to memorize Bible verses, but you have a favorite Quote, no one has a favorite quote? Well, good, maybe I'll give you some options today. You're afraid to raise your hand? You have a favorite quote? Awesome, a couple people, good. You want to say yours? Sure. What is it? Oh my gosh, that's really close to one I got up here, but that's really good. That's really good, yeah. That's a great one. That's a great thing to remember, isn't it? Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so let's see what, see, let's take, the, take this quiz for me, right? I got to get into teacher mode. So see how many of these you can get right. If you know one of these answers, just, you know, be unlike my students and just shout out the answer. If you know who said this quote, here's our first one right here. All right? Oh. Yeah, we're not supposed to have the answer there. If they happen to come up at the same time, that's okay. I thought I wanted the, the other, the, to be kind of a quiz, but that's okay. All right? It's not. It's only on mine. I'm looking there. Beautiful. Sorry, Mark. All right. I'm looking going, oh, no. But he's so advanced, he's way beyond me. That's good. Vince Lombardi. Awesome. I heard that one. That was good. That's a football. When he coaches football, he should know that one. Okay, next one. Here we go. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. What? J oh, Mr. Gardner. Political savvy there. Yes, JFK. Number three. Oh, one of my favorites. The credit goes to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. A leader who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause. Who at best, if he wins, knows the thrills of high achievement. And if he fails, at least fails with daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Churchill's a great guess. Not right, though. Who said that? <laughs> Give you a high five. You're right on it. Awesome. You look. Did you look? Oh, I thought you had it. That's why online learning doesn't work real well. Yeah. Okay, next one. He is no fool who gives what he cannot take to gain what he cannot learn. Lose. You know it. It's coming. Yes. What? Jim Elliott, very good, awesome. Number five, this is the one that was a lot like Jake's. It is inbred in us that we have to do exceptional things for God, but we have not. We have to be exceptional in the ordinary things. This is a little tougher one. 
has a great devotional book called My Utmost for His Highest. Oswald Chambers. And finally, the last one. If you know who wrote this one, I'm very impressed because I've never heard of this guy, but I just like the quote. Our greatest fear as an individual or as a church should not be a failure, but in succeeding in things in life that really don't matter. That's a good one. Go ahead and put it up there. I can't say his name. Tim Kazire. All right? And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today is fear. All right? And, and uh, as we talk about fear and courage to overcome fear. So how many of you got, oh, some of you got some of them, right? You did a pretty good job. Good job participating. That helped me get back into the flow. But before we start today, let's pray and see what God wants to teach us from his word today. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for the opportunity to speak today. Your word just has so many great lessons and things that we need to learn. And I just pray as we, as we go into it today that, that your word, your Holy Spirit is here and your Holy Spirit would be the one that, that does the work in our hearts and our lives as we listen to the speaker speak. And may it come with what you want to be said and that each person may leave here a little change from when they come in. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to speak today and just give us your, your grace and mercy. Amen. So we all have fears, right? And we need courage to, to handle those fears. And I got a little thing I want you to remember fears by uh, in a second, but I, I want you to go, go back to a time, I don't know, I was pretty young when I had this presented to me, but I said, I said to someone, uh, well, let's assume, and they said, well, you know what you do when you assume, right? And then they showed me the little wrote-it-down picture, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you need to talk to someone else after church because I can't do that up here, all right? <laughs> so, but I still remember that from like 40 years ago, and so this is what I want you to remember about fear, okay? Fear, F-E-A-R, false expectations appearing real, all right? That's all fear is, right? False expectations appearing real, we have whatever those fears and however they come about in our lives. So as we get into Joshua today, we're going to see that happen with Achan. So if you want to, you can turn in your, uh, on your phone or in your Bible to Joshua chapter 7, verses 2 through 11. But before we read Joshua 7, 2 through 11, we've got a little review into Jew. Joshua has taken over leadership from Moses. God would not let Moses go to the promised land. Joshua's taken leadership. He's obeyed God. He's led the people across the Jordan River. Um, as God held back the floodwaters, last week we saw that uh, God miraculously did a work and uh, fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. And then, so he's continuing to work in, in Joshua's life, right? And Joshua's fired up and he's ready to go. And then all of a sudden, Sudden reversal happens here in Joshua chapter 7, verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabaram and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. 
Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us unto the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. So understand what's happening here. Israel is coming off a very easy victory at uh, Jericho. And Joshua just says, hey, let's keep going. All right, he sends spies into the land to make sure everything's okay. The spies come back, positive report. So they only send 3,000 people in, and they, they get pummeled, man. They just get wiped out. 36 people got wiped out. The rest of them were evidently fast enough to sprint home and not get killed. Joshua doesn't understand what happened. He does not get it because he went into Jericho, got a great victory. God's going to give him the promised land, and this was not in the plans. This was not in the plans. But at the end of the day, God tells him what he did wrong. There is sin in the camp. So what happens next is the Lord tells Joshua to bring all the tribes out in the morning, and they find by Lot who the person that sinned was, and the Lot falls on Achan. So in verse 20, Achan replied, It is true I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua then sends some of his people. They find out that it's exactly like Achan says. Uh, the stuff he stole is there. And so they take uh, his sons and daughters, his cattle and donkey, his sheep, all that he had, including himself, to the valley of Achor, and they proceed to stone him and burn him. Yikes. That seems a little harsh, doesn't it? You know, isn't that occasionally the way we think of sin? Well, my sins, you know, it's, it's okay. It's not that bad, but, you know, look at, look at Jay Kinsey. Look what he's done. He's way worse than me, you know. Um, what, what can we learn from this story? You know, what does God want to teach us from this story? As I was preparing this sermon, it's interesting, as I read in commentaries, there's a little conflict about what's actually happening here. Many commentators for this defeat blame Joshua, and they say, well, he was overconfident. You know, they won a victory. He, he sent two spies. Oh, this would be easy. Got too confident, right? Overconfidence always brings defeat. Or, and some of them say, well, he just failed to pray, right? Remember in Jericho, all the, all the you know, God told him exactly what to do, and there was this distinct battle plan that was fairly weird. And it, they followed it, though, and it worked. So um, a lot of commentators say that. But then if you think about the other side of that is that they just won at Jericho, and it's a pretty good plan to just keep going, right? How many men did he lose at Jericho? I don't think he lost anybody. And so his men were still fresh. We can go. We can make a good battle plan, keep going. Um, Moses sent spies the first time to the promised land, and the 10 came back negative, 2 came back positive, and he didn't do it, and that's why he got stranded in the promised land, right? These two spies came back positive. It would make sense to, to follow them. So there's a little conflict exactly what's happening here, but I think what's happening is if we look at uh, 
the first verse of the chapter and the 26th verse of the chapter. I conveniently skipped the first verse. You probably already read it, right? So you already know this is happening. But I think the first and the last verse kind of couple what's really happening here. Verse 1 says, But the people of God broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. And verse 26 says, after Achan has been found out, and they raised him, raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. So the chapter's first verse and last verse is really bookend by the reason for the battle failing, which is God's anger over Achan's sin. Yeah, possibly, you know, if Joshua would have prayed, um, God would have showed him that, that it was unbiblical and that uh, maybe he should have done something else. But I don't see what's wrong with forging ahead and doing what God has called you to do, which is take the promised land, right? Um, so in today's passage, we're going to look at God's wrath against Achan's sin. What does God want us to learn from this passage that we can apply to our lives today? And we're going to look at two, concept, two, two major concepts as we, as we look at that. The first one is the character of God, okay? The character of God. The first, there's three things about God's character that I think are, are important as we look in this chapter. And the first one is God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. Psalm 7, verse 8 says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Shoel, you are there. Basically implying, right, there's no place you can go to get away from God. The story of Jonah told us that in the Old Testament. Um, verse 1 tells us that Achan sinned, but Joshua didn't know that, right, until verse 18. So he didn't know there was sin in the camp. If Achan knew it was wrong to do it, why did he do it? Well, when I, when I asked that question to myself, it really wasn't a hard answer, right? When you look at ourselves, when I look at ourselves, when you came in here, you probably, that's probably not a new concept for you, right? God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. That's not a new concept. But do you still sin sometimes and try to get away with it? Yeah, it's kind of what we do as humans, right? We're sinners. Um, so I'm not sure that was a hard question. So God is everywhere. We need, to, we need to make that something conscious that we can remember. Number two, God is jealous. One of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 24 says, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. There's a phrase in a Crowder song that says, He is jealous for me. And I can't, I have a hard time listening to that without just breaking down because I just, I can't fathom the fact that, that God loves me that much to be jealous for me you know that he wants my heart he wants my undivided attention Achan's sin showed his heart was not where it needed to be and God wanted all his chosen people to love him and show it through their obedience God's jealous because he wants us to love him as much as he loves us he wants our heart and he wants us to desire him more than anything he's a jealous God and finally, God values holiness. 1 Peter 1.16 says, You shall be holy, for I am holy, which is just a quoting of Leviticus 11.44. Holiness is obviously mentioned many times in the Bible. What is holiness? What's the definition for holiness? Well, it's just being set apart for God's service. Becoming holy is a progressive thing. Christians continue to try to rely on God's Spirit to eliminate sin in their lives. 
God wanted his chosen people, Israel, to be holy before he gave them the promised land. And Achan's sin violated that covenant. It's clear we're not saved to be the same people we were before. We're saved to eliminate sin from our lives and pursue godly living. So, summarizing the characteristics of God. We know God is everywhere. We can't hide from him. God is jealous for us because he's madly in love with you. And God values holiness in our lives. Our second concept today, a little more difficult, is uh, that we're going to deal with is sin. What does this passage teach us about sin? Well, again, we probably need to define sin. We know it when we see it in others' lives, at least. Probably our own. What does this passage teach us? Well, the, Bible, the, the definition of sin in the Bible is missing the mark. It's the concept of an archer shooting a bow, and trying, an arrow, and trying to hit a target, and, and they miss it. It's called sin. But I like our Ignite definition a little bit better. I was back at Ignite a couple weeks ago, and, and it defines sin as to think, speak, or behave in any way that goes against God and his commands. Remember back when I spoke on patience? You probably don't, but that was like, a, you know, maybe six months, a year ago. And I, my first thing was, I don't know why I'm speaking on this because I'm not very good at being patient. Pastor John saw this topic and he said, sin, that's what France is really good at. He's speaking on sin. No, no, he didn't say that. But I feel like, I feel like this, is, this is an area that uh, I'm a little more expertise at. And in fact, if we're all probably honest with ourselves... Uh, we all have some struggles <clears throat> in certain areas of our life with sin. Um, so, why is it that our culture talks so little about sin? I mean, we, we, we're very aware of the reality of evil in our culture and in our lives. It's impossible to go to a day without realizing that, I think. But we kind of seem to be in a little bit of a denial about the reality of personal and corporate sin. So today I want to look at three realities of sin and what we can glean from Achan's life um, and maybe help us try to avoid some of the same pitfalls that maybe Achan fell into. Number one, sin, sin is never done in secret, which ties directly into the first character trait of God, right? That God is omnipresent. But even though we know this, this doesn't always stop us. Um, a couple things for me that, that, you know, for me, when I do I need to ask myself, uh, is what I'm thinking, if, if my wife or my best friend or my husband knew what I was thinking, would that be a good thing right now? Or if this text and email, if I sent this and it appeared on the front page of the Herald Republican, would I be okay with that? Because if I have to answer no, then I probably uh, need to not send it, maybe ask for repentance. Um, you see, sin makes us think irrationally. It makes us think we're better than we are. It deceives us, you know, just like the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. They were deceived. You think you're never going to get caught, or you tell yourself if you do something once, it's okay. I can do it once. I'm going to get away with it. It's not a big deal. How many of you had found yourself in that months of March, April, May, maybe a little bit in June, probably March, April, and May, with a little extra time on your hands? Anybody else besides me? Because you were home more? Yeah, I see a few hands. Now, I know there's some of you, maybe they're first responders, and you're involved in this fight big time, and I thank you for that, and that's an awesome thing. But for me, I had a lot of extra time on my hands. We actually got done with school the second week in May. Um, all I was doing was school, 
And uh, it was really easy for me, you know. <laughs> the weather was crappy. There was no live sports on TV. You know, you can only lose to your wife so many times in Mexican training, skip bow golf, and, and want to keep playing. So um, it was hard. It was a hard time for me. Loneliness can do that. It can make you think things that you normally don't think. It can make you, um, even though you have more time to spend in your relationship with God, and, and, and I try to do that some, there were times that it was difficult because of that. We have to continue to remember we have God's Spirit in us. We shouldn't desire to sin, but the reality is we still do, right? Like Paul says in, in Romans, we still desire to sin. Um, but we, we have to know God sees everything, and when you know you're headed down the wrong road. When you, when you hear that, the first time you, that thought comes into your mind, you're like, and this happens to me you know, almost daily, that you know is not something you should be thinking about. You just repent right there. You repent in your mind and you think about something else. You don't play with that thought because thoughts are just the beginning of actions. Number two, sin causes fear, which causes more sin. You ever notice like when you start sinning, a lot of uh, hopefully you're you're not in this cycle, but you can, you can be when you sin, and then you're a little scared you're going to get found out or something you did, and so then you have to hide it. So then you have to sin again, and it's just it's just kind of a cycle that that keeps going on and on and on. Um, looking at Achan's life, how did that work out for Achan? What was Achan's sin? It was covetness. Covetness. I can't say it. Covetness. So yeah, yeah. Uh, why did he covet? Well, he's probably a little insecure about his position in life, right, maybe, because what did he do? He took 200, 200 shekels of silver, 50 shekels of gold, and a beautiful robe from Babylonia. So he probably suffered a little bit from materialism or worldliness, right? He wanted, he wanted more possessions, and he saw that uh, way to get it. Babylonian material was high class. If I'm wearing this coat here, people are going to look at me in a different light. I'll be in the cool crowd. I'll be, I'll be hip, man. Sound familiar? You know, it wasn't really the lifestyle God was opposed to there. It was the fact that he had given direct commands and Achan had violated those commands. But he had convinced himself that the life God had for him wasn't complete unless he had these things, right? We do that at times. I got to have this, right? Um, so he took them. Then he had to cover up his sin by covering up his stolen goods. He had to hide them. Why did he hide them? If it was okay, why did he hide them in his tent, right? It must not, he must have known it wasn't okay, or he wouldn't have been hiding them. So sin leads to more sin. You know, when we think back and we look at, unfortunately, um, in the Christian faith, some major leaders who, who uh, fall and have to be removed from different positions, um, you know, it's usually a slow, a slow fade. You know, the song goes, people never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. You know, it's super, super important that, that you take care of sin on a daily basis in your life. Because if you let it, if you let it go and you think it's okay or you don't let it bother you, um, then things continue to happen and it gets out of control and you think you're in control. I hope, I mentioned it a little bit, do you ever feel convicted of sin? You know, I hope you feel convicted of sin in your life because if you don't feel convicted of sin, that's a problem. The problem is that uh, you're, if you don't feel convicted of sin, you're either perfect, and we know that's not true, or God stopped talking to you, right? 
And I'll be honest with you, I don't really like it all the time when I'm convicted of sin. You know, there's a time this week I left a restaurant, didn't like what my bill was, and I thought I was pretty nice or nice enough to the waitress, but I couldn't get it out of my mind that you didn't treat her right, you didn't treat her right, you didn't treat her right. I'm like, go away, just go away. I don't, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it, right? But it wouldn't leave my mind, you know? So I had to, I had to make a phone call and make it right. But there's part of me that doesn't like that, but there's another part of me that does because I know at least God's still, God's still speaking to me and he cares about my personal holiness and he cares about sin not grabbing a hold in my life. Um, so, you know, when you, we talked about this a little bit already, but when you think something you know you shouldn't be thinking, that's between you and God. You just ask for forgiveness. If you say something that you shouldn't have said and you know it, then you've got to go make it right with the person. Sometimes you don't know it. Sometimes other people have to tell you, but sometimes you know it. And finally, if you actually do something else besides speak that, that someone um, that was wrong or someone took offense to, you need to take care of that as well. And those last two things are really difficult. Having the courage to confront sin in your life is not easy. It's, it's, it's tough. It takes courage because it involves more than just you and God. If I just say a prayer to God and I know he forgives me, I'm good, right? That's, that's not easy, but it's not terribly hard. But to go in front of someone else and ask for forgiveness and say you were wrong takes courage. When we're feeling fear, we're not doing it. And finally, the third factor of sin is that sin always comes at a high cost, right? No matter, if, if we sin and, and we don't take care of it, eventually we're going to pay the price. We are just going to pay the price. It affects us. It affects the people closest to us. It affects us in ways, there's so many unintended consequences that happen that we don't even think about because we're not thinking rationally. For Achan, here's what verse 24 says in in Joshua 7. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achar. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned him with fire and stoned him with stones. Probably not going to happen to us today, but it happened to Achan. And uh, Achan's sin cost him everything. Cost him everything. Everything his own, he owned, his whole family. <clears throat> you know, why did God punish that so harshly? I think we need to understand this concept of personal sin and corporate sin. In America, we're really big on, we understand this personal sin concept, I think. We understand that we're sinners. We understand that there's personal sin. But, you know, if we're part of organizations, we're part of groups, sometimes there's this thing called corporate sin. Achan, Achan was a part of the Israelite people. And every one of the Israelite people needed to follow God for them to get to the promised land. And Achan was breaking that covenant. So if we think about that, what are some things today that might fall into that category um, he was keeping himself from things that God had declared to be his own exclusive property. I think there's three things today that maybe would be things that, that we could do that might fall into the Achan sin area. Number one would be taking revenge against an enemy. Romans 12, 19 says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do we take revenge? Do we take it into our own hands or do we let God trust God that he's going to handle that 
The second thing would be Ephesians 5, 25 and 29 states how the church is God's bride. And, and he just loves the church, right? So doing anything that hurts the reputation of God's church or brings disunity to the body of Christ would seem to fit here as well. Now, that's a, that's a hard one for me as an elder and as a pastor. Um, I think this also would include, you know, as individual believers, we have to make sure as pastors and elders that we're preaching the truth. We don't confuse people's minds. We're trying to help them grow in God's word and not lead anyone astray and not be divisive as a ministry partner, as an elder, as a pastor. Bringing disunity to the body is, is a major issue. And finally, I think the third thing would be poor stewardship, which seem to fit into this category. Are we selfishly robbing God of time, talent, or treasure that belong to him? He's the one who's given us everything. God does make it a point for us to know that our personal sin affects the corporate body of Christ. In fact, we never really know how much it's affecting ourselves and the people around us. You know, what, what does God's word tell us that sin affects? What are the specific things in God's word? We know that God's word tells us that sin separates us from God. We're clear on that. Um, and we're only holy because of God's work on the cross and the fact that he took our sin for us. Uh, first, 2 Corinthians 5.29 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So as we think about that, the only way we can relate to a holy God is if we're holy, right? If sin is gone in our lives. So if we have sin in our lives, there's three things that it, that it hinders in our Christian walk. Number one, it hinders our prayers. 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If we have unconfessed sin in our relationship to God, it's not, our relationship's not going to be the same and our prayers are going to be hindered. Number two, sin stops the Holy Spirit from working in us. Galatians 5.17, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. I think we've all felt that conflict. And if we let the Spirit work in our lives, we have to have sin not present. So the Holy Spirit cannot work in us if sin is present in our lives. And finally, sin stops us from bearing fruit. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Sin means we're apart from God. We can't bear fruit. It hinders our prayers. It hinders the work of the Holy Spirit. And it means we're not going to be bearing fruit like we should be as a Christian. So how, as believers, can we keep from letting sin grab hold of our lives? Obviously, you know, the, the, the answer is always, you know, get in the Word, pray, do those things that we know that we're supposed to do to see fruit. But I think there's another thing that that goes overlooked sometimes that's hard, really hard for men to do. Women are much better at this. Um, and, and that is, we need to take a deeper step in some relationships with people. John, James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We need to trust each other enough to confess to each other tell truth to each other, and hold each other accountable. Now, there's not going to be 50 people in your life you can do that with. I get that, right? There's not going to be a lot of people in your life you can do that with. 
We have small groups, circles, starting back up in the fall. That's one area I would encourage you to be involved with circles so that you have someone who can share, you can share your heart with that you can, you can help, that helps you in your life. Or if there's one other person you can meet with. You know, we have, there's things that, that I don't want to, in everyone's life that you're just not sharing with everybody. And, and I, I, if I know that there's another person that I'm meeting with weekly or bi-weekly, and that person knows that I struggle in these areas, and they're going to ask me, how you doing this week in this area, then I'm pretty sure I'm going to be less apt to do it that week. When I think, and, and that sin starts coming into my life, I'm going to think, I don't want to let, I don't want to let my accountability partner down. I don't want to let God down. I don't want to do this. I think that's just, I think it's extremely helpful that if you can have someone. And again, I would encourage you to, to, to look at your own life. And if you don't have that person, you probably have that person in your life, maybe not in that relationship that, that's that close right now. And I, I personally think it's, it's probably better if that's not your spouse. For a male, you have another male. For a female, you have another female in your life that can, that can help you through those things. So let's summarize what we've talked about so far. We know God is everywhere. We can't do anything, including sin, that he doesn't see. We know he's a jealous God. He values holiness. And we know if we sin, it causes fear and brings more sin. And that sin always has a major cost that we will have to pay. But you know what? You know what? Yeah, you know what? There's good news, right? We've got to end with good news. We can't end with all this sin stuff. We've got to end with good news. Romans God is a God of grace and mercy, and we already know he's covered all our sin. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who, in Christ Jesus, who are in Christ Jesus. We know that, right? We know as Christians that we should be sinning less, and we know we have the Holy Spirit is always there to help us, right? And we also know that there will be days I lose the battle. Grace says that it doesn't matter because the cross has already won the war. Name that song. Name that song. You don't know that song? Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I, that, I just love that song. It's Greater by Mercy Me, my favorite group. But anyway, that's a, it's a great song. You know, grace and mercy. God's grace and mercy has covered everything. It's covered all our sins. We know that. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I just think that's an awesome promise, right? So as Christians, we need to examine ourselves regularly. We have a God who forgives. We have a God who shows grace and mercy. We don't have to beat ourselves up. We can ask for forgiveness and know that God takes our sin and throws it as far as the east is from the west. And he does not remember it anymore. We're not judged. We're not on that sin. We're judged by the freedom that we have in Christ. I want to close with this daily devotional thought that the other day I was reading in my devotional book, Psalm 16.8. Psalm 16.8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That's a great verse to memorize, by the way. 
The author of the book, Experiencing God, Henry and Richard Blackaby, says, what you choose to focus on becomes the dominant influence in your life. You may be a Christian, but if your focus is always on your problems, your problems will determine the direction of your life. If your focus is on people, then people will determine what you think and do. When you focus on Christ, you invite him to take the most important position in your life as counselor and defender. What an incredible act of God's grace that Christ should stand beside you to guide you and counsel you and defend you. How could you ever become dismayed over your situation with Christ at your right hand? What confidence that should give you. So as we close today, I want you to think about sin, but I want you to think about it in terms of godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Like worldly sorrow. Dang, sorry I got caught. (laughs) Didn't really think about that. You know, we see it all the time on TV, right? I mean, I do. Someone you know, sports it happens all the time. There's another athlete got in trouble. Okay, let's see how sincere he is in his apology, right? Okay, well, that's not, well, then we judge. But the point is, worldly sorrow brings regret, right? We're sorry we got caught, basically. We're not necessarily sorry we're what we did. Godly sorrow brings repentance. That means turning the other direction, and that means freedom. When we listen to God's voice and we confess, we're free. It's a different feeling. And you know what I'm talking about if you've you've done it before. You've done something wrong, you make it right, you're free. Even if the person doesn't accept it, you're free. As 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. But worldly sorrow brings death. So I want to encourage you today as we close, just to think about your own life, just to think about, is there any sin in your life that you need to confess? And just focus on the fact that God is always right there to help you. And you know, if you don't have, if there isn't any, that's okay. One of the things as I was preparing this, I also found was that I think it's important as a Christian, you have friends, right? If you see sin in someone's life that's close to you, You shouldn't ignore that. You need to deal with that person one-on-one in a kind way because you're helping them. If they're going down the wrong path and you see it and you let them go, what kind of friend are you? You obviously can't do that with everyone, but you have people in your lives you can do that with. So if God's not convicting you of sin in your own life, that's awesome. If he is, you know, deal with him. Even individually, the altar's always open up here so that you can bring yourself up and pray. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we can't thank you enough for the grace and mercy that you supplied us with Christ's death on the cross. Where sin runs deep, grace runs deeper. We sang that today. We sing about it in church, and we just thank you for the fact that you give us the opportunity to say we're sorry God we want to do better we want to repent we thank you that you love us so much that you want us to follow and be straight after your own heart Lord and I pray that you would just help us each and every day not to take sin lightly and end up how Achan ended up but to let your spirit control our minds control our thoughts so that we can bring every thought and every action 
everything we speak and do in accordance with what you would want us to. Lord, that's a high calling. And we can't do it on our own. We need your strength. Give us your strength this week as we do that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.